Welcome to this week's episode of More Tech. I'm your host, Michael Amorgan. And this week we're going to be talking about a few different topics. Uh, before that, I get into all that though, I do want to say a few things. Uh, one, this week we lost yet another person within the, uh, I guess you could say the uh, cartoon, anime-ish family. This is pretty much the producer and person behind SpongeBob SquarePants. And so that's another kind of big person within the community space that's already passed away this week. Well, passed away this month. Not And then if you also keep in mind that, you know, Stanley also died not too long ago as well, the same month. But <clears throat> getting into getting past that, I should say, and getting into the actual topics. The topics that we're going to have start off with Google. Now, this one's a little different than our usual topics where we normally talk about different services or products or, you know, stuff like that that Google's doing. Though technically it's still related to it, it's a bit different. See, here's the thing. Uh, back in 2010, Google pretty much removed themselves from, how should I say, from china and well that was because of censorship laws and a whole bunch of little stuff uh that pretty much started to become a problem for google and for a lot of people uh and china wanted a lot of information about the people who were searching they wanted stuff blocked uh they wanted and this is a bit funny but they wanted it tied to people's phone numbers and china's doing stuff now that's becoming uh, almost like utopia dystopian black mirror ish kind of stuff right now so here's an example in black mirror there was an episode where pretty much your reactions to people and how you react to people uh hey jackie welcome to the stream hey no how are you doing man um <clears throat> but yeah so essentially What they've done is anything that you do essentially can get rated. So if you don't decide to be on time for something, that gets a score. If you act drunkenly in public, that gets a score. If you get to work on time, that gets a score. If you drive badly, that gets a score. To the point where China quite literally is now setting up to a place where they have started blocking people from traveling because they have bad scores there's quite literally one guy that his child cannot go to a good school because the parent has a bad score even though the kid can go and wants to go into school wants the kid so it's kind of weird uh tie into the fact that google now has it so that they have this thing called Project Dragonfly. It's it's quite literally a project that they're doing. And Google employees aren't having it. Much like what they had a problem with Project Maven, which was pretty much Google's attempt at helping the US government with drones and like, you know, other stuff. They have petitioned and protested against project maven 
they're doing the same thing with Project Dragonfly. Project Dragonfly is essentially the secret, uh, how should I put the censored version of the internet search engine for China. They're trying to work with the Chinese government so they can open up back in there. And what's worse about this is the fact that, quote unquote, uh, by the way, this is the Apple CEO saying, uh, where is it? Trying to find it exactly. Let's see. Not, not Apple, Alphabet. Alphabet chairman, sorry, correction, John Hennessy said last week that doing business in China requires compromising core values of Google. Now, that already says a lot to the main fact that you already have within the span of one day, like close of business one day, you have over 300 of your employees worldwide already signing a petition to say, stop this. Uh, here's what they're pretty much saying. Many of us have accepted employment at Google with the company's values in mind, including its previous positions on Chinese censorship and surveillance and an understanding that Google was a company willing to place its values above product profits. After a year of disappointments, including Project Maven, Dragonfly and Google support for abusers, we no longer believe this is the case. Now, what this article by CNBC says is that Project Dragonfly has drawn criticism from human rights groups and U.S. politicians since The Intercept first reported details about their initial effort this summer. And in August, thousands of Google employees signed a letter saying that it raised urgent moral and ethical issues. Google CEO Sundar Pichai responded by saying publicly that the company is very early in its plans, but that experiment, experiments found that it could serve well over 99% of search queries in China. See, now I'm, I'm going to actually, yeah, I'm going to pause right there and move on just a little bit because sure, it can cover 99%, but that's like a company saying, oh yeah we're gonna cover this region of the world which has the majority of the population but we are going to ignore like the hundred thousand people that's over here over here because we're getting ninety nine thousand like ninety nine hundred thousand people over here so you you're pretty much still excluding people and some of the stuff could be really interesting and really worthwhile, especially considering how China's firewall policy is to the fact that they don't allow Twitch there. They don't allow a bunch of different uh, avenues. If you pretty much badmouth a politician, you can be in legal problems. And that's saying something, considering the fact that they do have a political problem over there in China. Uh that's at least what many people say i personally have not been there i have not done enough research on that to speak for myself but while china is a nice place in certain places it does have its issues especially when it comes to electing new officials that said let's continue on with the open letter
They say that leadership's response has been unsatisfactory so far and call for transparency, clear communication and real accountability. Now, you have to keep in mind that the Chinese government had, and I'm quoting here, the Chinese government has increasingly curtailed what its citizens can or cannot do by online by blacklisting websites and access to information about certain historical events like the 1989 protests in the Tiananmen Square and requiring people who use online forums to register with their real names. What's happening with Google is they're requiring people to register with their phone numbers, which are tied to their real names. So if you even if you're searching on your mobile device, they still know exactly who you are, what you're searching and can then score you or put you on a blacklist site, both of which aren't great. Uh, Google's Chinese search app would have reportedly complied with demands to remove content from the government ruled sensitive and linked user searches to the personal phone numbers, which I said. Critics say that by cooperating with the Chinese government, Google would have violated principles of free expression as well as users' privacy rights. Because, you know, you're sharing information about what they're searching. That's their private information. They then go on to say that we object to technologies that aid the powerful in oppressing the vulnerable, wherever that may be. Dragonfly in China would establish a dangerous precedent that a volatile political moment, one that could would make it harder for Google to deny other countries similar concessions, which brings a very clear and standard point. I mean, if what's the next place? South I mean, North Korea? I kind of doubt it, but hey, it's possible. But then what about places like Russia, Germany, uh, places that typically have some weird laws they can then say hey we want you to ban this russia for example if i remember correctly they are they've completely banned people from being gay there however that works and they can then say hey we want you to ban everything that's gay we don't want anything on the search engine to come up there which you know might be a thing hey there alan look 6k alan lu 6k uh hmm. i'm trying to remember that name that name sounds familiar i think i've seen you you've been in this inside on the twitch chat before haven't you okay so continuing on from there and then oh hey oh okay i got you now jason okay uh, I gotcha. Alan Luck. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hey, Jason. How you doing, man? It's been a while since we've talked. Uh, right. So what they're saying pretty much is that while that is true and what I'm saying, you know, it does set a dangerous precedent. Google or one of their spokespersons more so is said in a statement that the company's work on the area has been exploratory and that it's not close to launching a product out of the project dragonfly yeah companies say that but they don't necessarily always mean it and it could be something that they work on and move forward with 
but you know, it's, it's just because it's exploratory doesn't mean there's nothing actually happening, no agreements being made, or anything of that sort. So, yeah, that's that's kind of a little gray area for me. Two of the original signers of the public letter were among the core group of organizers behind the international walkout earlier this month. And in the past year, the tech industry generally and Google employees in particular have shown unusually high levels of labor organizing with employees sounding off about multiple workplace issues, including diversity and controversial company business contracts. Uh, from that, quite some things have changed. Uh, I'm not going to get into the full Google article. Uh, actually, you know what? Yeah, let's let's get into this. Quote. We are Google employees and we join Amnesty International in calling on Google to cancel Project Dragonfly, Google's effort to create a censored search engine for the Chinese market that enables state surveillance, which is true. We are among thousands of employees who have raised our voices for months. International human rights organizations and investigative reporters have also sounded the alarm, emphasizing serious human rights concerns and repeatedly, sorry, repeatedly calling on Google to cancel the project. So far, our leadership's response has been unsatisfactory. Our opposition to Dragonfly not only is not only about China. We object to technologies that aid the powerful in oppressing the vulnerable, wherever that may be. The Chinese government certainly isn't alone in its readiness to stifle freedom of expression and to use surveillance to re repress dissent. Dragonfly in China would establish a dangerous precedent on the volatile political moment. Uh, we pretty much got to that point, but... The, our company's decision comes as the Chinese government is openly expanding its surveillance powers, which they are, and tools of population control, which again they are. Many of these rely on advanced technologies and combine online activity, personal records, and mass monitoring to track the profiles and track and profile citizens. Pause right there. So much to the fact that they quite literally can recognize anyone. Uh, in China, they, they have a, a database of people's facial recognitions, uh, well, fa people's facial structures for facial recognition, so that as you're walking down the street, they know exactly who you are. They, and from that, they can then pull your score and everything like that. There was a test done where they, they marked this guy, just an average goat Joe, who was doing an interview for it. Uh, they marked him as a criminal and just told him, you know, go out and try to avoid getting caught. He got caught within 15 minutes with actual police surrounding him and, you know, trying to arrest him because he was marked as a criminal. Until, you know, they, they explained everything and he was able to go. But the point still remains. They are really upping the ante when it comes to social surveillance and... You know, this, it depends on just how far they take it. It can get really bad or it could be really great for security. But then where does privacy end? Anyway, so continuing on with this. Uh, they say the reports are already showing who bears the cost, including Uyghurs, uh, women's rights advocates and students providing the Chinese government with ready access to user data as required by Chinese law would make Google complicit in oppression and human rights abuses. Dragonfly would also enable censorship and government-directed disinformation, which is true because, you know, 
if there's any bad PR about the government, they can simply say, hey, Google, we want this out of here. We just want our... And I just triggered my Google Home. Uh, we want this out of here. We just want what we're saying to be the truth. And that's how we want to go forward. Uh, now, continuing on from that. Uh, so it's government-directed disinformation and destabilized the ground truth on which popular deliberation and dissent reply. Sorry, rely. Given the Chinese government's reported suppression of dissident voices, such controls would likely be used to silence marginalized people and favor information that promotes government interests. Which could probably also be them saying, hey, Taiwan is a part of the Chinese government. Well, the Chinese state. Even though Taiwan is saying, yeah, no. Um, many of us accepted employment at Google with the company's values in mind, including its previous position on Chinese censorship and surveillance and an understanding that Google was a company willing to place its value above profits. And yeah, okay, so we kind of went over that. This is why we're taking a stand. We join with Amnesty International in demanding that Google cancel Dragonfly. We also demand that leadership comply to transparency, clear communication, and real accountability. Google is too powerful not to be held accountable. We deserve to know what we're building, and we deserve a say in these significant decisions. Hey, Deborah, welcome to. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Um, but yeah, that's that's essentially what's going on with google and china and this is like i've been saying this is something that hits a little too close to many many of these dystopian books where they have drones flying around killing people finding people so on and so forth and you know people's lives become an utter and complete mess because of it they have to i mean there, there have been numerous TV shows, numerous movies, numerous books, all about the same kind of stuff. So I'm not going to get into all of that, but I would suggest to Google, just take a step back. Look at your core principles of when you guys started, when these people joined you. Remember the core principle of, that you have since removed of do not be evil. You guys, as they say, have too much power not to be. And maybe you removed it because people see evil as different things or whatever your reasoning might be. But there are certain lines that honestly should not be crossed. And I think this is one of them. Now, that said, we're going to get into our next topic. And by the way, you know, guys, if you're listening, feel free to uh, jump in to the conversation in the chat. Tell me your thoughts. Let's actually have a conversation about things. But the next topic is about, well, it seems that Silicon Valley parents. So those persons who live in the tech industry in California, which is in an area that's more popularly known as Silicon Valley. They are starting to raise their kids almost like um, Bill Gates did. And for those who don't know what that is, essentially what he did was there's no phones, there's no real electro <coughs> pardon me. There's no real electronics in his home. 
So his kids pretty much were raised without TV, without phones, without tablets, uh, without game consoles, that kind of thing. And, you know, when it comes to stuff like that, that is a very odd way of, well, at least from back then, a very odd way of raising kids. But a lot of people have started doing that in that area of the world, and their reasoning for it kind of makes sense. So what's happening is they... Okay, so for an example, there was a family that has kids that are under the age of 10. And what they've done is, sure, they have a tablet, they have an iPad too, if I remember correctly. But that hasn't really seen use in like a year, and that sits at the very top of the linen closet, apparently. Instead of games, which, you know, the kids are allowed to do up to 10 minutes a week, they're able to use their parents' phones for 10 minutes a week, but they have unlimited use to using board games. And the reasoning for that is because they say that these electronics and these services and whatnot because they are in this industry they see where these things are tailored to be meant to become slightly addictive for kids and for adults for a lot of us as well and so we keep wanting to use them keep wanting to play with them keep wanting to do stuff on them this out of the next and you know that computer addiction and internet addiction have been things for years uh there was a point in my life where <laughs> my own mother thought uh, that I was addicted to the internet until she took it away for like a year, which was my own fault. But that time, it didn't really affect me all that much. Sure, I was able to focus on other stuff, but at the end of the day, I still ended up getting the internet back. And she had to use the internet as well. So... It was interesting. I'll, I'll I'll put it like that. Uh, but if you do it in a way that works, then it's an interesting project to try at least once in, in your kids' lives. Preferably before they get into that really social age. Um, so, like I was saying, these kids have unlimited access to board games. And, you know, they can, of course, do physical things like they can they can play games with one another play with toys go outside and play uh read books you know stuff that happened essentially before electronics took over and of course the parents know that someday they'll have to get their kids phones because again this is the social age uh at some point the kids need to get a phone just so even the parents themselves can keep in contact with their child which, of course, will then lead out to having their kids talking to their friends and uh, going on Facebook and so on and so forth. Which, of course, there are things to try and limit what all they can do, see what all they can have on their phones and like monitor monitor them. But there's still this that, that aspect of it. <laughs> Jackie's saying that her kids are addicted to YouTube. That See, that's the scary part. Because we we've done a somewhat poor job in this generation so far and i'll i'll, I'll call us out on it I'll, I'll call my generation out on it 
the generation that's being brought up has one of the lowest attention rates ever. And that's because we of how we interact with things nowadays. Here's an example. I quite literally used to know at least 15 to 20 phone numbers out of the top of my head like that. And I could like, I could go to a phone and say, Hey, my home number is this. My mom's number is this. Uh, the store number is this. The school number is this, that and family number, like this family member, uh, members number is this, then that, and that, and that, and that. Nowadays, I pretty much only remember my work number, my cell phone number, my mom's number, my house number, and I don't really have a need to remember anyone else's number because I have them stored on my smartphone. So I, 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 I don't need or have the need to, uh, remember the numbers anymore which can be a bad thing because that means my ability to remember numbers has gone down get that and so when we <laughs> when we lose that kind of functionality it it hurts us and this can happen for any age it's not just that generation i'm just using this as an example i'm pretty sure if i asked my mom what was our old house number she probably would not be able to tell me because that's been years for starters and ah it's just not something that you would readily remember <laughs> jackie's saying that in pepper pig well pepper pig is on youtube if i remember correctly um but i mean that's that's the next thing parents are stopping this as well because they don't want the internet to raise their kids they want to raise their kids essentially how they were raised by playing with toys going outside playing with friends hopefully uh reading books uh talking more you know things that are more physical in their aspects instead of just saying here's a phone here's a tablet Here's a laptop, here's a computer, here's the TV, go and entertain yourself. And I'll admit, the way how we ingest our information nowadays with 30 second long Snapchats, Instagram feeds, Facebook stories, you know, things that just whiz by us doesn't really help with our information processing and retention. I think that's one of the reasons why podcasts are now starting to take off because people are looking for long form versions of information. They, they like listening to people talking about particular topics and you know, if you can make it interesting, that's, that's great. Then that's probably also the reason why streaming on a whole has gotten popular as well. Wow, mom, you actually remembered that number. I'm impressed i'm impressed i mean people do not call that number because i have no idea whose number that belongs to anymore but that was our old uh store number and my mom actually remembered it <laughs> shout out to my mom who's actually watching but <laughs> the fact that she's able to do that should be a blow to those of us who can't remember those numbers because that was quite literally a number from lord 
that was from 2002 so that was about 16 years ago and she still remembers that number that's impressive and she's saying no phones at dinner or while driving in the car together uh i don't know about that like because okay at dinner sure i i can completely understand that sometimes you need some tunes though in the in the in the car and uh i mean especially when the conversation is not going anywhere then pull out your phone and, as a passenger and maybe find something interesting and whatnot but i mean conversation is a good thing on a whole so i'm not berating what these parents are doing on the contrary i to a certain degree or age i completely agree with it uh now apparently this is happening because let me see if i can find it right here they're saying that these types of parents are a new kind of parents instead of tricking out their homes with at least the latest type of technology many of the parents are working in limiting or sometimes outright banning how much screen time their kids get and a 2017 survey conducted by the silicon valley community foundation found that 907 silicon valley parents that despite high confidence in technology's benefits Many parents now have serious concerns about tech's impacts on the kids' psychological and social development. Which again, brings us to the point. Actually being social, being able to remember things, dealing with short-term attention, which people then say, oh, well, this kid has ADHD or ADD or whatever it's being called nowadays. <laughs> and they need to go on these medications. It's not the case. It's conditioning. And if you just simply work on improving that aspect of your your mental capacity then a lot of the kids that get misdiagnosed with adhd will probably benefit from that uh one such set of parents are quite literally teaching uh what they've done is they teach their niece and nephews ages 4 to 11 to meditate and appropriate appreciate screen free games and puzzles and apparently once a year he takes them to a nearby buddhist temple to meditate now that's not for everyone obviously because you know not everyone's a buddhist but they're also saying that former employees at major tech companies some of them high-level executives i mean case in point we had bill gates as one of the most high profile ones years ago have gone public to condemn the company's intense focus on building addictive tech products the discussions have triggered further research from the psychological um, from the psychology community all of which has gradually convinced many parents that a child's palm is no place for devices so potent the tech companies do know this is a quote the tech companies do know that the sooner you get kids adolescents or teenagers used to your platform the easier it is to become a lifelong habit it is no coincidence it's being said that google has made a push push into schools with google docs google sheets and learning management suite google classroom which um, teachers and parents and now even enterprise users can use to help train their staff and like do trainings with their staff turning kids into loyal customers of unhealthy products isn't exactly a new strategy uh some estimates find that the major tobacco companies okay this is kind of airing a little bit but this is what business insider right here is saying that major tobacco companies spending nearly 
$9 billion a year or $24 million a day marketing products in hopes kids will use them for life. The same principle, and if you think back, don't forget the Camel Joe from way back when trying to make smoking cigarettes cool. Uh, which they've since banned. Uh, but essentially, the same principle helps explain why fast food chains offer kids meals brand loyalty is lucrative. And on that particular point, I actually liked the kids meals from back in the day. Like they, they felt better than today's own, in my opinion. I don't know if that's just me. Like I go to places. I don't even see kids meal toys anymore. Uh, the, up to the point where I did see them, they were pretty much complete crap. But I mean, I used to like going to places like Wendy's and McDonald's and Burger King to get their toys. Yeah, it it's a viable product scheme. Now, quote unquote, the difference with Google is that they don't think of themselves as dangerous. Google, for sure, thinks of themselves as, hey, we're the good guys. We're helping kids. We're helping classrooms. And I'm sure Apple does as well. And I'm sure Microsoft does as well. Now, that's from that quote. Now, from there, they're saying that this other family lives on a pretty traffic street. And in the 15 years they've lived there, she's noticed a notable shift that everyone is on their phones on the bus. And it doesn't seem like someone's reading a Kindle, for example. But I mean, it's a phone. You could still be, and this is me stopping right there. You could still quite literally uh, be reading a book. Or you could be reading the news. You could be doing a lot of stuff. But admittedly, most people are probably on their um, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, or WhatsApp. Or some chatting application. And yeah it's it's not quite the same but at the same point we quite literally have black and white photos dating decades of people sitting around together not talking reading the newspaper so it's not quite a new thing to be quite honest it's replacing one thing for another because we're not all social creatures and some of us actually do do like to read regardless of what the substance is. Jackie is saying that, listen, my kids do love technology, but I tend to put them on timeout and it takes them on an, and take them on a nature tour. It's a health, it's healthy and normal. And she's got a point. You do have a point there, Jackie. Um, timeouts are a good thing just to break that cycle. And actually show them the world does exist outside there is sunshine there are birds there is a thing called a car make sure you don't get knocked down by it but apparently this parent over here not jackie this parent that they're talking about right here will go to great lengths to prevent her kids two-year-old jack and five-year-old elise from having to have even the most basic interactions with technology she and her husband haven't installed any TVs in the house. They avoid all cell phone use in the kids' presence. And that's also required of their 28-year-old nanny. Who has been caught, quote-unquote, scrolling on the job. Uh, so, essentially, the thing about it is, and this article does state it, 
like a silver lining to constant tech use is that negative effects don't seem to be permanent like these things can change social behaviors can change them quite literally let's use my example with my mom cutting off the internet for a year i i was fine sure i was upset that i lost the internet but i still found other things to do and when i got the internet back it's not like i was oh my god the internet the internet wow it was okay cool i've got the internet back let's see what's changed from a year ago and this is me as a kid this is back during like dial-up and you know the same thing with kids nowadays you take away the phone from them you take the, their technology away they will find other things to do um they might find ways of sneaking technology in when you're not looking just be wary of that but at the same point like one of the studies is quite literally and i'll, I'll cite it right here that was and it's often cited by psychologists was published in 2014 and a the peer-reviewed journal computers and human behavior it involved roughly a hundred preteens half of whom spent five days on a tech-free retreat engaged in activities like archery hiking and orienting the other half stayed at home and served as the control because in any exact any any um testing scientific testing there always has to be a control something that is you know the standard after just five days at the retreat, researchers saw huge gains in empathy levels among the kids participating kids. Those in the experimental group started scoring higher in the nonverbal emotion cues, more often smiling at other at other child another child's success, or looking distressed if they witnessed a nasty fall. The researchers then concluded the results of the study should introduce a much-needed societal conversation about the costs and benefits. Of the enormous amount of time children spend with screens both inside and outside of the classroom conversely though i would argue and i would probably need to look more into this particular research how many of these kids actually were able to be social while at home because does the same thing happen when more kids are bunched together maybe like day in day out where they can actually form friendships instead of just staying by themselves in their home which admittedly can happen as well because the internet is the internet and you can meet friends there i've met many close there and personal friends of mine on it one of which you, you, i've met <laughs> whoa so many good friends on it and like it's it's even playing games you just meet random people and sometimes you end up having a good time and that can be a thing Jackie saying taking technology away sticks suddenly turned into action figures <laughs> pretty much like you learn to be creative with stuff so I I get where they're going from with the empathy levels but does the same thing happen if you're still at home or in another setting with other kids essentially schools have apparently also started to adopt some of this stuff so uh apparently not all parents who raise their kids low tech strive to keep the same standards when it comes to education however um 
There, there are places where low tech, a number of low tech schools have popped up in an effort to reintroduce the basics. Uh, there's a private school in Los Altos, California, where kids use chalkboards, number two pencils. Faculty don't introduce kids to screen based devices until they reach the eighth grade, which is a pretty good starting place, in my opinion, for that kind of stuff. Especially when you consider the fact that handwriting, especially cursive, is kind of becoming a dying art. Uh, many people don't really know how to properly write nowadays. Cursive, definitely, I, it's... Many kids don't even know how to, to write in cursive in today's day and age, and that's a shame. I mean, granted, my writing is not the best. I've seen people that have beautiful penmanship, but I'm no doctor, so my penmanship is definitely not on the horrible side. So, having kids actually write, that's not a bad thing. Uh, apparently, there's another school, K-12, private school in San Francisco, where kids learn creativity by using power tools, dismantling radios, and attending classes in treehouses. That's taking things to a completely different kind of level right there, and more on the like, real hands-on side. And there are many public schools. Technology has become a guiding force however, according to educators, and in a 2017 book, school, um, Screen Schooled, the co-authors make a case that technology does far more harm than good, even when it's, using, it's used to boost scoring in reading and math. They say, quote, It's interesting to think that the modern public school, where kids are being required to use electronic devices like iPads, Steve Jobs' kids would be some of the only kids opted out. And Jobs' children actually did finish school, so it's kind of impossible to really figure that part out. So, just saying. But, that said, it's, it's an interesting concept. Uh, I'm taking a look at the time. But, it's an interesting concept, and I don't think it's going to become something that's widely done. But it could start catching and becoming a trend. I, I cannot deny that. Even from people first hearing about Steve Jobs and how he did things within, within his household, people were saying, you know, that's interesting. Maybe we should try that and taking it from there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, like I'm saying. If you do it responsibly, if you do it right, you can maybe help your kids with a lot of different stuff that they may be going through. It can also help you Focus in on your kids instead of always sitting down watching Netflix. You can actually focus in seeing when your kid's mood has changed and figuring, okay, something has happened. Let me talk to my kid. That's all I'm saying with that. Now, I want to take our interests just a little bit backwards to what I was talking about with Google and China and censorship and how China has pretty much been handling a lot of information. And I want to take from that point and diverge just a little bit. The fact of our personal information our, our, and our lack of an interest in data ethics. This is something that's going to become an issue for us in the future. And I, I'm, I'm saying this now. And there are other people that are agreeing to this. That are uh, you saying, you know, 
this is going to become an issue. Uh, so here's the question. When was the last time you searched for something on Google, Amazon, Facebook, or wherever, and then you started to see ads tracing you pretty much wherever you go around the internet? Or you see advertisements from somewhere local that, you know, it's quite literally just this one store or company that is only in this area and you start seeing these ads for them popping around because you searched for their products the the main concerns that we need to be very worried about and actually start taking a look at there are four of them the first one is ownership who actually owns your information a lot of companies are saying you know you own your information you can take it whenever you want you can close your account this that and the next uh jackie's saying yesterday so annoying uh wait what was yesterday I explain that to me jackie but what i'm saying is even though google has something called google takeout facebook has something similar and essentially there's things that you you go you download all your information and then you can uh eventually transfer them to other places which is still being worked on between the different companies that doesn't necessarily mean ownership because in their in their terms and services they still say that they can use that information however they see fit for a lot of different stuff and you technically agree to that whenever you make the account or start using that service from them. They have the right to republish it, to modify it, to share it, to pretty much do a lot of different stuff. And that also goes with your search history. So who really owns it? Do you? Do they? That's, that's something that has always been a major concern. And Jackie's saying, <laughs> well, explaining that yesterday ads popped up about something that she was looking at. And see, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Because the next step is bias and biases and algorithms based on the information that they have about you, be it your race, your gender, uh, your age, your interests, where you work, where you live, all these different types of stuff they they start to target you specifically uh so let's say someone wanted to target black people who are interested in mm, tablets i'm just using something general then the black people who are interested in tablets would then start to see these ads the white people the asians the Filipinos, the or the Spanish Hispanic folks, uh, even other people around the world, even Native Indians, for example, or Indians, would probably not get those same ads. And sometimes, sometimes, they can actually be little promotions saying, "Hey, click this ad and you get five dollars off this product." And while it may seem nice, that it is kind of a bias. And so that's kind of a little bit of a gray area right up in there. Hey, Deadluck. How are you doing today? 
welcome to the stream uh but they also say everything from this can affect everything from facial recognition as well to chatbots and can be skewed in favor of pretty much the demographics that i mentioned based on the data used provided by it or to power it so essentially let's use china's example let's say someone took that and made that happen for a series of store chains or another city for example okay well you just joined no idea what's happening right now i am talk we just finished talking about google censorship project dragonfly which is a censor censored version of google search in china and then we talked about uh how kids of today and tomorrow essentially are going to be a lot of them are starting to be raised without the use of technology in their lives at least up to a certain point by their parents and how schools are even getting into it uh parents are enforcing it on a whole even with their nannies some going outright no computers or anything like that yeah the great chinese wall firewall that is uh and so from that point we're now starting to talk about our lack of interest in our own data privacy and the ethics behind it essentially so i just finished talking about who actually owns your data and i was just finishing up with the bias that you know could be pretty much based on a bunch of different def um, factors about you personally like your race your uh sex well your uh age so on and so forth even to the point of where you work. Uh, then there's the third point of the four, which is transparency, which, you know, deadlock saying that that is good. People should think about their own digital footprint, which I completely agree with. Uh, people don't give it enough thought. Uh, I'll say it like that. They, they are quick to click, hey, I've read these terms and conditions give me your service and take my information for this free service that you're giving me essentially and they make millions of dollars off of that especially if they sell it he's saying that eu has a good policy about that and the eu general data protection regulation ah yes the gdpu well the gdpr sorry um which has taken the, the internet by storm. Pretty much any website you go to, they're now saying, hey, we're tracking you with cookies. You can always, like, you can choose to, like, stop this or leave or, you know, this out of the next. And uh, he's saying, basically, the data is yours. You need to consent for it to be used for financial gain by commercial companies. And this is true. This is the, and it's taken the world by storm because of the high fine that it is because if you have just one person in the EU who visits your website, even though you might be US based, you could be fined if you're using it for any financial gain from tracking their information for targeting with them with ads to actually having ads on your website to well, a lot of it. And yeah, you're right. People don't care. They just click accept. And that's that's part of the issue that we're talking about now. People are very quick to just click accept, click OK. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they start adding in extra things to the GDPR's little uh, 
information bit where they say you know either accept or decline and they start adding in like you you give us this thing for to do this that and the next almost like many little terms of services or terms and conditions and i don't know about that like a lot of people care like most of the websites i go to at least once it's popped up asking me if i if i approve of the them using putting cookies and tracking me and that kind of stuff and then again you've got now extensions for browsers that are quite literally automatically removing that information for you so you never see it and so you're always giving your consent which kind of goes against the purpose of gdpr <laughs> and the benefit that it actually gives you um, I actually have an episode where we specifically talk about the GDPR and the changes that were made for that. Um, you mean you care just a very small group around you that you can judge by? I mean, for the most part, the consumer that I've seen don't care. The companies that have the websites or the brands and whatnot that have these websites, they care because they don't want to get fined. But besides that there's there's not much care to it because admittedly from what i'm aware of there haven't really been that many fines um most people try to become compliant within time and if i remember correctly the reason for the gdpr really started off because certain people wanted their information to be removed from the internet and it became a problem because places like google or certain websites wouldn't remove the information about them and so here comes GDPR, which pretty much forces people to have to get rid of information that people don't want on their site. And so they actually have to have a part of the site where they can make a formal complaint. And if the complaint doesn't happen within a certain period of time, then, well, it goes to the, the complaint thing again, get followed up by the EU, and then the company gets fined a few hundred, well, a few tens of thousands of dollars so yeah that was the reason why the fine was the reason why a lot of places actually just did the acceptance for it um but yeah onto the transparency part like are companies required to disclose how they collect and use data or are they free to hire hide some of their efforts more importantly who gets to decide the answer here and some of that was, you know, handled by the GDPR. Some of it still is not quite handled properly by anyone. Uh, the last point on it is consent. And what does it take to consent to having your data harvested? Because keep in mind, Facebook themselves harvest your information even if you don't have a Facebook account. It targets your computer, sets a cookie on it, and... You don't even have to have a Facebook account for them to start building up information for you. So by the time you actually do end up with a Facebook account, it already knows so much about you. Like, uh, <laughs> that is true. And well, thanks for switching over to, to Twitch. I, I see you switched over. Um, here's an example. Did you know that Twitter is also building up information about you as well? Hey, thanks for following on Twitch, Deadlock. Um, they they actually have. Let me let me see if I can pull up the article. Twitter. Uh, personal 
info and news. Anyway, I am not seeing it here right at the top of the thing, but I do see an article right here with it reminds me that Facebook and Twitter are cracking down on an AI project that allows uh, people to essentially see their their babysitters behavior if they're bad or not and they've actually started limiting the amount of information that that service can actually get which i mean is another kind of thing because while these these companies have these information and to say so earlier today i actually looked at my twitter and it told me like i'm interested in technology it knows that i'm interested in esports uh particular like types of movies uh and a lot of stuff that's personal because, well, that's the kind of stuff I, I search for. And, okay, so what do you, Deadlock is saying that uh, social mining is a big thingy. I mean, a lot of good stuff can be found on like that. Behavioral patterns for masses, etc. Targeting ads can be good for the consumer, but it still depends on how the data is used. And that is true. That is actually completely true. And case in point here we've got someone that a, a service that's trying to essentially use this information for good for or for the good of parents essentially to make sure that their kids are safe with this particular babysitter and this artificial intelligence is able to try and cipher out this person via social media and so now the social media places are having to start to you know clench down a little bit and say hey no you can't have all this information and i mean that's where we got the uh cambridge scandal just earlier this year where there's been more information about that and other breaches of security information and where we found out that pinterest uh russia was quite literally using pinterest uh ai key to download millions like i think it was actually uh, three million or billion i forget the exact number users information each day and updating their 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 logs essentially of people so you know this and the reason that happened is because pinterest had an administrator a master key essentially to get this information because they need that as they need that many uh authentication keys or sessions i should say so that you know if people want to use the service they they can have the ability without getting locked out but it's getting tiring now to where we're always getting a oops it's our bad or oh well yeah that thing happened we're sorry and there's no real accountability for it uh deadlock is saying the thing is i am curious why suddenly people care we have had targeted ads since the 80s Companies have always kept track of the credit card purchases of individuals. The only thing that has changed is that we became aware. You kind of answered it yourself. We've become aware of what's going on. We become aware mainly because of places like Facebook and the like that we've actually seen starting to collect our data. And the more and more places that have started doing it, it started to raise questions in people's mind like, how are they doing this? Why does Amazon know when I need tissue paper? Why do they know when I like, need this? Why does Facebook bring up information that this this 
book that I wanted to was looking at in the library or something like that. And because of how prevalent it is and ads became on the internet, it's gotten to the point where people start to ask these kinds of questions. And so, yeah, that's, that's, I think that's the reason why, whether people are starting to care about it. Deadlock is saying he's, uh, I've got some cool recommendations. Thanks to targeted ads, to be honest. And yeah, sometimes they be, they can be great. And other times they can be downright creepy. Um, especially for example, when you let someone use your phone to search or your laptop, next thing you know, you've got ads for like pads and random stuff that you have no interest in, or in my personal opinion, even worse stuff that you were interested in at some point, but no longer are. So for example, I was looking up a pair of headphones maybe like a year ago and up to today I still get like ads on apps talking about headphones and and headsets and stuff like that. I have no need for these. I am perfectly fine with what I have. Like I have my gaming headset right here. I have my headphones right here. I've got my earbuds in my bag. I have no need for headphones. And yet within a given day I'll probably see the, an advertisement for a headset or headphones or something like that at least 16 times a day. No joke. It's annoying. <laughs> uh, Deadlock saying that in the day and age of so much data being surplus, you cannot know all that is there out there. And that that is where AI and targeted ads can, can actually well help you. So data retention is a problem. Okay. Would you agree that a temporary storage can help, but long-term storage should be avoided? Personally, yes. I, I would say do not keep information over six months um, when it comes to personal information like that. And that was kind of the, the standard originally for a lot of places. And then, of course, you've got places that just decided stock all the information and they've kept it for like 20 years. We shouldn't be holding on to information that long. People's interests and behaviors change within that period of time. And sure, it might prove to be an interesting, like, psychological experiment and study. I, I don't need to know that this client that was once interested in Tamagotchis is now interested in uh, Let's Go Pikachu and Pokemon. For, for as an example i just need to know that they're interested in pokemon because that's their current interest now uh so government intervention is required or maybe above government body should act like the iee i think governments can only do so much so here's an example the uk and eu have been asking for mark zuckerberg to come in and testify for well, since the Cambridge scandal happened, essentially, that's been for the most part of this year. And he still resigned to saying no. He offered to send a representative. They didn't want the representative and he's just not going. So it's kind of like in a stalemate now. What are they going to do? Fine him? For what? For not showing up to explain himself? Or just fine him for what they, the company's actually done? They say, oh, we want Mark Zuckerberg to be removed as chairman and CEO. 
he's saying, yeah, that, no, that's not going to happen. And so these companies have become so big because we've allowed them to get so big where they can quite literally fight back governments. And when you have situations like them handling this and then saying, oops, well, yeah, your data was, you know, leaked out and here's all the information that got leaked, like Facebook did, where they just told you what all got leaked afterwards. Uh, I mean, they don't really do anything about it. You don't get funds back because you didn't pay for anything. They're just using your information. But that is worth something, so it's kind of like, what's happening now? Um, then you've got the inflation problem, which is actually happening because, you know, how's it going to be in the future? The global internet's uh, population growing rate is uh, it's 2.5 uh, billion users in 2012, 3.7 billion users in 2017. And on top of that, the average user's creation of data is increasing each year with more content, images, videos, interactions. I mean, look, we have things like Twitch and Mixer now, like that didn't exist back in 2012. Well, at least not in this current format. We had things like Justin TV and live stream and stuff like that. So, I mean, what do you do? Like, this is something that people really need to start thinking about. And yes, like you mentioned, the EU has been doing stuff about it, uh, like the right to be forgotten, uh, GDPR. And, you know, a lot of different strict data prevention rules, protection rules, I should say. And sure, there are places that are taking a look at these types of laws outside of the EU, but many aren't acting on it all that well. And the next question really becomes, how much power do they hold if they did? Can Jamaica force Zuckerberg to come down and testify for their users uh, to come down if the EU can't? Probably not, unless he's coming down on vacation. Uh, what about somewhere like the Cayman Islands or Turks and Caicos or one small country in Africa? What do you do? <laughs> and as I say that, Deadlock is um, pointing out that South Africa is now joining and will explode with mobile users in the next 10 years. They skip the whole period of desktops and laptops and jump straight into the iPhone Samsung penetration with 4G. And he's got a point. You got a point right there, man, Deadlock. Like, for a long time, these places didn't even have electricity. And now a lot, especially in North Africa. But for the fact is, electricity is coming to these places. There's better internet services coming to these places. There's 4G. There's a lot of stuff coming. And people are just taking it up like that. Even in places like India, like where, who, boy, places like South Africa and India are going to be the next hotspots for developing countries, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I do know Trevor Noah. Did you actually watch his uh, comedy skit that was on Netflix? He actually talked about South Africa in it, where he, you know, the idea of, uh, crapping in a hole essentially like that you know it's if he was to oh lord if you haven't watched it i'm not gonna spoil anything 
go and watch it on Netflix. It is, it's good fun. I'll, I'll say that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, essentially, this needs to be something that people look at more, and it's a pretty big issue. So please start looking at this more. It's worth the time and effort. I agree, Deadlock. Like he's, I between him and a few other um, talk show hosts, I actually enjoy them because they they make you think about things differently. It's not just technology; it's worldviews and everything like that. So, um, things like that. It's it's cool what they do. Um, I try to do it for myself and my streams and whatnot, and try to make this information a little bit different than what you probably normally expect it to be but uh my career profession i deal with uh mm, <laughs> i deal with mobile phones training social media uh different technologies and emerging technologies uh stuff like that uh it's it's really hard to put a center focus on it and i also deal partly with uh email marketing but the company i work for is a telecommunications company mainly you're an ai scientist very nice very very nice um you should join the discord channel that we have the link is down there below but it's i'd be interested in having some conversations with you about stuff i mean we post technology stuff there every once in a while i'm trying to get more and just sharing like daily news and stuff inside there that i think is worthwhile but if you want to talk tech by all means join the discord and let's actually jump into it but the last topic that i want to talk on is um oh no <laughs> before we get into that no no one is an uninformed conspiracy troll in the discord <laughs> we may have some alternative views on things not alternative facts alternative views um and i have not seen any conspiracy trolls in our discord so you don't have to really worry about that but moving on to amazon and this one's not quite tech but it's a tech company based one and it kind of goes along with some of the stuff that we've been talking today and just a little bit of history from 2017 yeah amazon um from about 2017 their workers have been complaining essentially about low wages poor workplace uh ethics and standards and more directly it's been coming out of the uk department but even the us departments have been complaining about it to the point where they feel threatened that if they essentially do not pee in a bottle and essentially not taking a break to go and use the restroom they will be penalized because of the targets that they have to make and if they don't make the targets it becomes an issue and essentially now they are saying we are not robots and that they have walked out across Europe 
on Black Friday over low wages and inhuman conditions. And, you know, this is is not anything new. Uh, quite literally, I am looking at something from May 31st, 2018, where they there's an article pretty much stating the same thing, where ambulances called out 600 times in three years, but online retailer denies uh, the Guardian, uh, sorry, GMB's claims of unsafe, unsafe working conditions. Um, <clears throat> now they were they were comparing that to only 80 calls in total by a nearby Tesco warehouse of a similar physical size, where about th 1,300 people work. So this is a place that has 1,800. So they had anything from electric shocks and eight people who had fallen unconscious and so on and so forth. So this isn't something new left. Let's also go on something from July 30th, 2018 accidents at Amazon workers left to suffer after warehouse injuries where uh, this one person was excited at the idea of working for one of the fastest growing corporations in the world. But then he noticed that managers would ask you questions all the time about any bathroom breaks, performance and productivity. What they do is code your time. And if you're allowed to change it at will, to me, that's how they get rid of people. Uh, apparently this guy has became homeless after a workplace accident left her unable to do her job nor is she the only person uh, apparently a guardian investigation revealed numerous cases of amazon workers suffering from workplace accidents or injuries in its gigantic warehouse system and treated in ways that leave them homeless unable to work or bereft of income then we have another place which is pretty much saying the same thing that i was talking about from april saying you know people are skipping bathroom breaks to keep their jobs because of these targets then we have an article by Paste Magazine saying seven examples of how Amazon treats their 90,000 plus workers like cattle. Time to toilet breaks, impossible targets, exhausting intolerable working conditions are frequent complaints. Um, and it just goes on and on and on. So here we have yet another article of the same stuff happening. And this is after they've recently cut off some incentives that happened and while raising the base pay to $15 USD uh, per hour. But some people were saying that they probably made a little bit more, but Amazon's saying, well, now they're making more because this is a definite thing instead of just something that's incentive based. Uh, Deadlock, you're saying that, you know, the thing makes sense. Amazon is building a model that is essentially needs robots, not humans. And that is the way of making money. And that's true. That's actually how some places are doing things. They actually, there's, is a place that sells, sends stuff out and they actually have it built in where these packages drop on top of the robots. I think it's Alibaba. They drop on top of the robots and there are patterns on the floor that the robots recognize using lasers and um, and sensors essentially to avoid bumping into one another where they then zip along and take it to the uh, the area for drop off 
And that's how they, they work it. This is the same type of technology that would replace these human workers, but then that becomes an issue for, you know, human rights versus computers and AI and robots and stuff like that. And people saying, hey, you're giving the robots our jobs. We're going to become homeless because of it. So it's kind of a little catch-22. Um, universal income, government-funded upkilling schemes. Uh, same as when we had Industrial Revolution, we are now facing the same shift. We need to create a plan to cope with it, says Deadlock. See, the thing about universal uh, income is that you need to actually become universal for it to happen. Uh, just because people want it to happen, and a lot of people do, there are people that don't like the idea of universal income because they like to work for their job. They don't want to just get income just for the sake of getting income. I mean that's that's a thing you can you can still have universal income plus do things on the side that generate income for you uh it's how should i put this it's not a you can only eat your cake kind of scenario unless you know it's set up in a situation like some government funded stuff like uh disability where essentially if you're labeled as disabled and you want to get income from the government for that, you cannot be working at the same time. Something like that as a universal income, mm, that probably would hurt a little bit for those persons that actually want to go out and use their talents to make money. But at the same point, you can still go out, do your talents, sell the stuff. And because not everything that's human made can be replicated by computers or machines or robots. Exactly. We, uh, you're right, Deadlock. People will always work, just like we're just like that. Uh, we are creatures that like creating value. Sometimes it's not even just value. Sometimes we just like to create things. That's where the whole creative thing comes in, in the world, in society. Things that people don't necessarily see as having a value. We may just like being there. That's a different kind of value, though. Uh, Deadlock is asking... Is, <clears throat> is Amazon wrong or do we need to upskill the workers to get more technical roles for them to be relevant to the market? This is a long-term discussion that needs government and companies alike to sort out. And I agree. I think that for places like Amazon, they are focusing, because they're US-based mainly, they're focusing on having the human element to say, hey, we're providing jobs for places. And they may not have enough jobs higher up the totem pole for people to move up to because quite literally like the article said there's like 90,000 warehouse 90,000 plus warehouse workers that's not the people who do marketing that's not the people who do coding that's not the people who um, work on project management the executives uh, who work the partnership programs uh, the you know any of these other things that they're working with let's not forget that Amazon quite literally also has companies that make clothing uh furniture electronics so on and so forth and so people will be working for those companies as well either um, creating those uh promoting them so on and so forth so there are a lot of jobs at amazon sure but it's how many are available higher up that don't cost the same kind of value and then if you take a look at that as well, the fact still remains that 
not everyone's going to be able to move up. That's 90,000 plus jobs. There just simply is not enough availability in job space for that kind of stuff. So that's where something like universal income can come in. But at the same point, Amazon is only in so many countries. Let's use the Bahamas, for example. That's where I am right now. And there's nothing like that here. We don't have an Amazon here. There's no Walmart. There's no big supplier. There's some talks about it happening with the um, World Trade Order, and aka the WTO. But that in itself has its own issues because then what happens to the local market? I'm not going to get into all that. But the point still remains that this is not something that can just jump in and happen. Like you said, this has to be a long-term discussion. And it has to be something that happens with many different countries, many different businesses. And, you know, I think we'll probably see a lot more of these protests, essentially, from Amazon. Uh, Deadlock saying this is becoming a more philanthropic question. I value and appreciate the truck drivers, but if we can have the automated, are they relevant, required? Can we make sure them or their next gen will get a relevant job? It's a very complex issue, not unsolvable though. Well, I mean, if you take a look at the Tesla uh, tr trucks, essentially, they may not be needed, but at the same point, there are situations that will require a human element to always be available until AI gets to the point where it just simply does not need a human element anymore. But who can say about the future? Maybe they will stop to make sure that there's always still a human element to save jobs. At least for heavy duty stuff like that. Especially in situations where Sometimes, sometimes, the human element may actually save lives instead of a computer one. Unlike what we've seen where sometimes it's... Okay, so here's for an example. Some of the Tesla um, cars that got into accidents, they actually did ding off to say, hey, we need someone to take over. And the person just simply did not and allowed the accident to happen. Then again, we have a lot that had gotten to accidents and because the human was not allowing the computer to take control the accident happened so it's it is a question for the future i i i'm not sure if it's going to take two or three generations like you're suggesting i think it'll probably only take one to be quite honest just because of how fast and how much time and, and resources are being thrown into this and this field uh, we're saying nothing relevant changes in one person's lifetime. We like to think it does just as to make ourselves feel relevant in the grand scheme of things. I agree. That's why I say it's going to probably take like one more generation. Uh, and probably like a little bit later on in that generation for it to really pan out properly. Um, so I don't, I guess that goes by the definition of what you mean by generation. Uh, I would say one more generation's lifespan. Let me put it like that. You have to balance morals and what are those are or statistics. I completely agree. 
I'm glad you came here too, Deadlock. <laughs> like, okay, so here's the thing. Um, actually, you know what? Hold on for the end. Let me not do my my end roll because I'm I'm gonna be wrapping up in just a few minutes. Once I finish with this Amazon thing, and but I want you to come. I want you to feel free to come back. Uh, we do these episodes like once or twice a week, depending on the topic. So, why sorry, dude? Ain't no reason to be sorry. But essentially what I'm saying is uh, with this Amazon stuff, you can probably expect more and more until this kind of stuff. Oh, no, dude, you're not interrupting the schedule like at all. Um, I'm just simply saying there was something I wanted to say to you, but I normally save it for the end of the show. That, that's what I mean. So I, I just want to save it for that. <laughs> it's pretty much just the schedule of when the show happens and what shows and stuff like that. Don't worry about it. But apparently protests were planned at Amazon facilities in Italy, France, United Kingdom, and Germany. Some 620 employees at Amazon distribution centers in Rheinberg, Bad Harsfield, Germany joined the walkout and demanded higher wages, while union members in the UK organized actions in five warehouses across the country. Wait, what just happened? Hey, thank you for cheering 25 bits. <laughs> Thanks, Deadlock. Um, but, like I'm saying, like these places, you can expect this to happen until this kind of stuff happens. And Amazon's the company it is because of how prudent they are with their money. So I'm not sure it's really going to happen, which may mean longer times with stuff getting sorted out in different parts of the world. People still storming out of these warehouses in crucial times like Black Friday, when shipping is already going to be at a massive amount with Amazon being pretty much the most frequented place online in the world. When it came to online shopping. So. While Amazon. They say that um, the conditions our members are at Amazon are working are frankly inhuman. They are breaking bones, being knocked unconscious and being taken away in ambulances. Amazon's denying these claims, saying that uh, all of our sites are safe places to work and reports are, are to the contrary are simply wrong. Standing up and saying. Uh. Roche is saying that the workers are standing up and saying enough is enough. So we quite literally have two different sides saying two completely different things. And the fact that we have so many people for so many months across the world saying that they're having an issue with this. I'm kind of leaning more towards the masses saying that there, there's something wrong here instead of the spokespersons and higher-ups. Deadlock is saying, remember how McDonald's took care of their problem when people protested, replaced them with automated kiosks? You're right. You're right. They There are places in the United States and the UK and EU and stuff like that that now you go inside and you touch on a touchscreen and then you get your order from someone in the back. You, you no longer really talk to someone. Um, 
Deluxe is also saying that this underlines the issue people need to learn that is where we are moving as a society. We evolve sounds harsh, but I think it's for the greater good and we need to evolve the common intelligence to survive. I couldn't agree with that, but at the same point, we have to keep in mind that there are still going to be the people who need an income who cannot work with what they have. And so they're trying their best, but they just simply can't keep up. And in those cases, I think upskilling them is the correct matter of things. Because if you upskill them, they can maybe learn a new uh, skill, essentially. That's the whole purpose behind it, which might be more benefiting to them. And if it's more benefiting to them, it should be more benefiting to you as your company. Uh <laughs> you do you see see like we've only known one another for so such a short period of time and you already you already get me you already get me i feel it say so this is where universal income comes into play and you're right and yeah this is the this is the transition period i think for universal income this is probably the part that's going to take i wouldn't say two to three i would say three to four generations before it really comes into effect and that's provided we don't nuke half the world or more by then. Uh, anyway, so in a video from the union targeting Bezos, who's the CEO and the world's richest man uh, of Amazon, workers also declared in multiple language, we are not robots. Uh, it, it pretty much sounds like this. Let me see if I get it to play. Amazon, we are not robots. 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 The global fight to get Amazon to treat its workers with respect is growing. We're seeing this, we're feeling this. Amazon, we are not robots. We're going to fight and we're going to win. Yeah, that's that's powerful and within its own right. Um, Delac, three to four, five. How long is that? When you consider how short the modern society has been alive. Well, that depends. If you consider just a few decades ago, the average human lifespan was about the age of thirty or forty, and now people are living into their sixties to eighties. And then when you think about it, there were people living into their hundreds a few like centuries ago. So I don't know. Uh, three to four to five generations. Things may take an upswing or a downswing for how long lifespans are. Uh, the question is, I can understand the fight and I respect those that are, those people, they are right to fight for their cause. The question is how relevant is their cause in the modern world? I think it's up to people to really bring up that this is happening, especially with a company as popular as Amazon. It's kind of the situation like what happened with Blood Diamonds. People stopped buying from particular companies because people were getting their diamonds from, well, getting Blood Diamonds instead of like ethically viable options. 
And that's what we have to start taking a look at to make sure that we go with these options that are viable, that are ethically humane, and that help pretty much everyone involved. And we're not taking advantage of anyone. Um, this in line can also take part of the greater scheme of things like with technology and everything being made in China with very low uh, pay schedule, uh, pay payouts for the people who are actually doing the manual labor to create your iPhone and your, your TVs and whatnot and your computers and so on and so forth. It's that in itself is yet an, an, again, another long conversation. Uh, you say true people have more power than they realize and they are purchasing power. Uh, then that shapes the market, that shapes the corporations, that shape the laws of governments, that shape societies. It's all just connected in a beautiful way. And I agree. I completely agree. Now, that's actually it for this week's episode of More Tech. And like I mentioned, Deadlock, uh, this is the part where I, I normally give my ending spiel. So here it is. If you've missed any week, any part of this week's episode of More Tech, feel free to check us out on our YouTube page at youtube.com slash more tech where you can watch any of our past episodes you can also head to our website moarcookies.com to check out any of the episodes from more tech or the other episode that i, I do well the other series i do called esports rap esports rap happens on tuesdays at 6 30 p.m eastern standard time more tech happens at 6 30 p.m on thursdays at uh, eastern standard time as well and we typically try to release the episodes on YouTube and as a podcast. So if you just want to listen to the audio versions of the shows, those are pretty much everywhere from Apple podcast to Google podcast to Spotify to quite literally pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, we try to release those out the next day. So if you're watching this on a Thursday, the episode's going to be out tomorrow at some point after I finish with work. So, or throughout the day, I'll probably try to work on this today. Um, after the show, finish it up, edit it, so on and so forth, and get it out there for tomorrow's release. So, if you also are interested in joining the Discord, like I would have mentioned previously inside here, if you want to talk tech, gaming, just random stuff, feel free to join in our Discord channel as well. That's always there. And, um, until next time, guys. Oh, I, I see Deadlock saying, it's been a pleasure being here. Hope to catch you next time. We can arrange something more scheduled if you wish. <laughs> Sounds good. And um, guys, until next time, this is more tech and more cookies. Signing out.